Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneMo, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I'm always rocking OneMo, and there's a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different pants and shorts to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms, or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. From flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, one bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns in order to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian, just like me. And for me, that's important. New gear drops every couple of weeks, including the fall collection hitting the market recently. And it's got some absolute bangers in it. And the website and app are always loaded with the latest gear, styles, and offerings. As a One Bone Ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. It is a one-time use code, but I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone and become part of the One Bone family, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. One Bone, the biggest brand. Greetings and salutations. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 40 of the Keyboard Kimura podcast presented by One Bone. I am E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. It is great to be back. It is great to be doing this on consecutive days. It is great to be sitting down and finally diving in to UFC 294. I want to give a thank you to Aaron Bronstetter for joining me yesterday to have a conversation about influencer boxing after his great discussion about it on the TSN MMA show on his podcast and the video that I retweeted yesterday on Twitter. I want to say thank you to all of you that have stuck with me and hung out through these last couple of weeks while I have been away from this project, from this platform, dealing with some life stuff, dealing with some mental health stuff, just making sure that I am as locked in, dialed in, focused, committed, energized to tackle UFC 294 as possible. I appreciate it. Special thanks to the folks that reached out, wanting to make sure that I'm okay. I appreciate the messages of, hey, a lot has been going on in 294, and I keep refreshing my podcast feed to get your thoughts, and I'm sad every time they're not here. Thank you. I appreciate it. My thoughts are coming. And so as we get to it, I want to preface what I'm about to say the following way. I love this main event. I love the fight between Islam Mahashev and Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm really intrigued by the co-main event between Kamaru Usman and Hamzat Chemaev. 
That being said, I am probably one of the few people that when this, when Charles Oliveira fell out, wanted to see Matosh Gamrot face Islam Mahashev for the lightweight title. And I'll explain why. Because I think, to me, there's multiple factors here. And again, as much as I love this fight, as much as I love what we are getting on Saturday, I personally, if I'm in charge, if I'm making these decisions, I go in a different direction. So we'll start with the main event. First and foremost, and this is one that wasn't even on the table, but I want to make sure that I acknowledge it, that I talk about it, because it's it's ultimately the one that I wish could have happened most. And that is just delaying the championship rematch between Islam Mahashev and Charles Oliveira. Obviously, Dubronx suffered a gnarly cut in training right before he was supposed to leave for Abu Dhabi. Has to withdraw from this fight. You're not going into the cage with that thing still freshly resealed. However, it's not like he broke his foot. It's not like he broke his hand. It's not an injury that's going to require surgery or any prolonged amount of time on the sidelines. So for me, ideal circumstance would have been, or ideal result would have been just backing this up a month or two, six to eight weeks. If you can push this to the November card at Madison Square Garden, great. If we need to go to December, great. Those are available. Now that wasn't going to happen. You're not going to have UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi without a championship fight. And obviously the champion Islam Mahashev, healthy, almost done camp, wants to defend his title, hasn't fought since February. He doesn't want to be delayed anymore. So I understand going forward. But that would have been my best case scenario, how we would have handled this. Option two for me would have been tagging in Matoish Gamrod, who is going to serve this week as the backup fighter for the main event, coming off a win over Rafael Faziv six, eight weeks ago now, in a position where he was selected as the backup fighter. He's the guy that's coming in as the break in case of emergency fighter this week. If something goes wrong with either of these men over the next couple of days, knocking on wood here in the office, then he will tag in and be a part of this main event. The reason I would have gone the Gamrot route is to keep some continuity in both the lightweight and featherweight divisions. In bringing in Volkanovski, you take a champion who it seemed was on target to fight in January against Ilya Tapuria at UFC 297, penciled in to be in Toronto, and you put that fight on hold as well. In addition, at lightweight, you still have Charles Oliveira, who is waiting in the wings with his your flight has been delayed ticket to fight for the lightweight title. And that puts more space, more distance between guys like Gamron, like Saryukin, like anyone else, Justin Gaethje for that matter, that has hopes and aspirations of challenging for the lightweight title at some point here soon. Justin Gaethje won his fight against Dustin Poirier in July. 
I don't think he necessarily wants to fight too often between now and a championship opportunity. I think he believes, and you could absolutely make a case that he has done enough in beating Rafael Fazeev and Dustin Poirier in 2023 to merit a championship opportunity. And so you're now pushing back Oliveira. You're now pushing back Gaethje. You're now pushing back Gamrot, who goes from probably having to win one more to now it's probably two. And everybody else behind it, same thing. That distance between them and the championship gets elongated. It happens at featherweight as well. Ilya Tapuria can wait. Maybe isn't necessarily what he wants to do. Probably isn't what he wants to do. Sit around and wait for another opportunity. He hasn't competed since June when he beat Josh Emmett. And so depending on how all of this transpires on the weekend, he may have to wait. Now I will note, I will make clear that Mark Raimondi from ESPN talked to Alexander Volkanovsky and said, January certainly can't happen any longer. And Volk kind of looked at him like, why not? It's three months away. Sure, that's that's still the plan. That's how often I want to fight. So props to Volk for certainly wanting to still do that. No idea whether that will happen. We will address some of it here shortly. But if it doesn't, it sets that fight back, which then sets the rest of the division back as well, right? And so all of this, all of these thoughts for me are in part based on everybody else in the weight class and what taking Volkanovsky out of this at featherweight and putting him into it at lightweight does for everyone else. Now, I understand that that's not necessarily the UFC's concern. They have an opportunity to make a terrific fight that everybody is rightfully and truly excited about on Saturday, and I get why it happens. At featherweight, it's it's actually not that bad of a deal to remove the champion for a minute because the top of that division is still in just such a weird place. Volk has already beaten the guys at one, two, and three in the rankings, Holloway, Rodriguez, and Ortega. Arnold Allen is coming off a loss. He's set, in theory, to fight in January against Mavsari Vloyev. Tapuria is there and so on. So there's not really a backlog yet at featherweight, but at lightweight there is, and it becomes challenging. The other piece of it, when you talk about taking Volkanovsky out of the mix, is that if we go interim title, which I would imagine, win or lose for Volkanovsky, is probably going to be the path, then, then it's probably Max Holloway versus Ilya Tapuria. And if Max Holloway wins that fight, we're staring at Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway 4, when it's 3-0 Volk, and the last one was one-sided. We'll get around to this stuff more coming up here in a second. And so that's a big piece of it, right? It's just sort of everybody else and all the other elements that shift by doing this fight. All the different pieces. It's not just plucking someone out of out of nowhere and putting them into an opportunity. That's why, to me, Gamrod, or in this situation, any backup fighter, always feels like the safer, easier fix. It's certainly not anywhere near the level of fight as Mahashev versus Volkanovsky too. Not making that case at all. I think it would still be 
an interesting fight, a competitive fight. I think Gamer is better than people understand. I think he's a cool, interesting matchup against a guy like Islam. But I understand wanting to go with the biggest available fight. But that actually brings me to another piece of this for me. Their first fight in February at UFC 284 remains my fight of the year. As we are now late or midway through October. Which means there's not a lot of time, there's not a lot of events left where somebody can come along and unseat them. So we are now getting the rematch to what is currently my fight of the year on less than two weeks notice. And that just doesn't feel quite right to me. There is an interesting element to it that it's coming together this quickly and surprise this is what you're getting. But the purist in me, the analyst in me, the person that studies these athletes and spends time every day digging into their stories and telling their stories really would prefer having this rematch somewhere down the road. Put a little bit of space between them. Make it to where they are head and shoulders, the only guy the other can face, and it becomes even bigger. Right? This is a massive fight and it doesn't have that massive fight feel because it's been hastily put together. I understand, again, why it is the decision. I, I get putting this fight together. But it doesn't have the weight that I think it should. And I think most people would agree. Right, Going into the first fight in February, I don't know that there was necessarily the gravitas for this fight. There wasn't necessarily the heft that we associate with some of these big champion versus champion fights. But I think the way that one played out with Volkanovski absolutely holding his own and finishing the fight by knocking down Islam and having a really great fifth round, winning the fifth round, sort of put some more energy into it, sort of put some more life into it and gave everybody myself included, that sense of, oh, I can't wait to see this again. This is going to be terrific when we get to see it down the road. Because Islam's great. He's going to keep working on things. He's going to address the issues that went wrong. We've seen Volkanovski get better between every camp. And now him and Joe Lopez and the city kickboxing crew and the Hickman brothers are all going to get together and figure out how to beat this guy. And the second fight is going to be amazing. I still think this fight on Saturday is going to be terrific. But a full camp Volkanovski where they've once again committed themselves to studying and preparing for Islam Mahashev, I think is even better and carries more weight and garners more interest and appeal and build than doing it on short notice. I was very fortunate to get an interview that my colleague Mackenzie Pavisic did today or yesterday in Abu Dhabi with Alexander Volkanovsky, where he talked about, look, I feel fresh. I feel great going into this fight because I'm not exhausted from going through a camp. I'm basically, I'm always in the gym. I'm always in pretty good shape, but I haven't put myself through the rigors of eight to 12 weeks preparing. And that makes me a different kind of dangerous. And I appreciate that. And as far as if you could, handcraft somebody to step into an opportunity like this. And I wrote about this 
for the piece that I have written about Alexander Volkanovsky that will be coming out on UFC.com later this week. Exactly this, that if you could handcraft somebody for an opportunity like this, it is Alexander Volkanovsky. It is the guy that is always in the gym, always getting better, elevates his game every time we see him, is great at making adjustments both between fights and in fights, and will absolutely be fully prepared, as prepared as you can be, to walk into a championship opportunity like this, up a division against an absolute killer like Islam Mahashev. But that doesn't mean I still wouldn't want to prefer to see him after a training camp with a build to this fight. After maybe they had each defended their belts once or twice more. Or maybe Volk has come up and, and earned a win at lightweight against one of those top five, top, top seven guys before they did this again. Because as much as everybody lost their minds when the announcement came out last week, rightfully so, right? Me too. I, I lost my mind, but I was also the person that said I would have went Gamrot and left Volkanovsky and Tapuria, as I said. I think there's a little bit of the heat and the understanding of how big this is that is missing from this week because we haven't had time to sit and really unpack it. It's just been thrust upon us. And so the adrenaline is there, but that makes us stay a little bit surface and just say, rematch, great fight. And one of the things for me that sits in this fight and that hinges on this fight, and I'm actually really glad in that interview with Mackenzie, Volk acknowledged this. And I think it's a thing we we have to talk about. And it is, as I said, part of the reason that I wouldn't have gone this direction. And that is, if Alexander Volkanovsky loses on Saturday, his time challenging for the lightweight title is probably done. He will be 0-2 against Islam Mahashev in the span of under a year. In the span of eight months, he'll have lost nine months. He'll have lost twice to the sitting, reigning, defending UFC lightweight champion of the world. And whether you want to call it the Franklin zone or purgatory or whatever, he'd be in a position where it's hard to make that fight a third time. Now, he could certainly, and this would be really fun, right? This would be really interesting. He could certainly play the, well, I had to fight Max for a third time, even though I was up 2-0 card in here to get himself another opportunity. But if you look at that situation, he beat Max for the second time, the super close fight in July of 2020 on Fight Island. And then it was two years and Max won a few, a couple of fights. Volk defended his title. He turned 35 last month. And well, he's certainly one of those guys that if you told me he fights till he's 40 and he remains super competitive into his late thirties and, and towards 40, I would believe it. He's that dedicated. He is that professional. He is that committed, but I don't know if there's two years where he continues to reign at featherweight and hold on to this position. And we just can go through two years before he gets another opportunity. As I said, he mentioned it in that interview with McKenzie that like, this is probably my last chance at this. So the stakes are high. And I don't think we necessarily are thinking about that. I was thinking about it because I'm a lunatic 
that absolutely eats, breathes, sleeps this stuff and can't turn my brain off about it. But I don't think many other people are quite thinking about that yet. And that's a big thing. This is champion versus champion. Arguably number one and two in the pound for pound rankings. If not one and two, it's two of the top three. And it's happening on super short notice. And it might mean the end of Alexander Volkanovsky challenging for the lightweight title. Which at the start of the year, if you had said, by the time the year is out, Volk's bid bids, plural, to be lightweight champion, will all be exhausted. Would have felt crazy. But that that might be where we are come Saturday afternoon. As I've said here, I certainly understand the reason for doing this fight. The reason for bringing these two together at the top of this card on Saturday. I am absolutely fascinated by it. I cannot wait to see these two men back in the octagon together. But for me, there's just so much else that comes with it that is tethered to these results. Because if Volkanovsky wins, that's a whole nother timeline for us to travel down. That's another extension of the flow chart that we have to explore. Because I don't think if he wins this fight, health provided, he's facing anyone other than Islam Mahashev in a trilogy bout in the first quarter or the first half of 2024, which just complicates things further, right? I mentioned earlier, if something like that were to come to pass, or even with this fight happening now, there's the potential of an interim title at featherweight that then throws that division into a bit of a weird position as well. Again, featherweight can use a little bit of time for some of these contenders to emerge. We've had veterans knocking off young bucks a couple of times already this month or in consecutive fights in the UFC. We could use some of these less established guys that have some upside, getting some opportunities to maybe move up and really cement their standing. So that wouldn't be bad, but lightweight just becomes that bottleneck again. And guys like Saryukin that are already having a tough time getting fights, you're not going to see Justin Gaethje super excited to face Armin Saryukin or Charles Oliveira while biding his time because Mahashev is facing Volkanovsky for a third time. It just creates that trickle-down effect, that ripple effect that impacts so many other people. We get this absolutely phenomenal fight, but for me, a little bit, right here, right now, on the fly, the juice isn't quite worth the squeeze. It's still really good juice. I enjoy it, but I would prefer we have that juice somewhere down the road. There are some similar considerations or some similar things to address and discuss with the co-main event as well. Kamaru Usman tagging in for Paulo Costa against Hamzat Chimaev. Dana White announced last week in announcing this fight or announcing this pairing that the winner has next in the middleweight division, which is kind of weird. Because if you look at the current UFC fighter rankings, and I know, I know, I know about rankings, neither man is ranked in the middleweight division. Both are currently ranked in the top five at welterweight, but they are not ranked in the middleweight division. So I'm sure 
that at home in South Africa, Drickus Duplessis is scratching his head going, what's happening now? Who's fighting for the middleweight title ahead of me? Two guys that aren't ranked. Two guys that haven't earned a bunch of victories, consecutive victories in the middleweight division and didn't stop Robert Whitaker are going to fight for the title ahead of me. That seems weird. And it does. And we all acknowledged when Sean Strickland jumped into the opportunity to face Israel Adesanya earlier this, this fall and win the title that it was not necessarily short-sighted, but it was, it was pairing a fight to a date and then taking who was ever available and Duplessis not being healthy enough to compete, wanting the proper time. I fully understand it. He shouldn't get penalized for it. And it feels like that is again, what is happening here, which listen, UFC is free to do absolutely whatever they want. I'm not even necessarily like objecting to the winner of this fight, getting the opportunity, but it creates problems because Drickus Duplessis certainly isn't going to want to go out there and put his place in the pecking order on the line in order to remain next in line. And so again, you're hoping that everybody comes away healthy. Everything goes as scheduled. You've got a champion in Sean Strickland who likes to fight as frequently as he can. So there's not really any, to me, and I haven't talked to Sean about this or any of his people about this. Sean fought in September. He said if he could fight in December, that would be great. He probably wants to fight. He can't, I don't think he's going to fight in January in Toronto, but like he probably doesn't want to wait much more beyond February. And so is the winner of this fight between Usman and Chemaev going to be healthy and ready to go in February? I don't know. We'll see. But if they're not, do you then circle in DDP after you've just said that the winner of Saturday's co-main event gets next? Like it's just putting a whole bunch of weird challenges and weird, you know, declarations onto these things when you could simply have run this fight out and said, let's just see what happens. The winner of this will absolutely be in the mix because that would be understandable. That would make a whole lot of sense to everyone, right? If Kamaru Usman comes in on short notice and defeats Hamzat Chemaev in his middleweight debut, then it's certainly enough to put him in the title picture, in consideration. Not necessarily next in line for me, but certainly in that mix. And the same goes with Shemaev, if he continues this run, and if he, especially if he does it in dominant, impressive fashion, then yeah, he's right in that mix as well. But I don't think you necessarily have to tie the winner of this to a championship opportunity. And I don't think you need to potentially create congestion and confusion in the middleweight division, which is where it feels like we are. Additionally, similar to the main event, this feels like it should be bigger. This feels like it should be more. It feels like the kind of fight. And listen, I'm saying that as the guy that has said all this month leading up to this fight, when it was Paulo Costa and Hamzat Chemaev, that the bloom feels off the rose for me a little bit with Chemaev. The buzz, the momentum, all of that stuff from the early run on Fight Island even through the win over Gilbert Burns feels like it's dissipated, right? 
that fight was in April of 2022. We've had one fight since, which is the short notice Kevin Holland, and that was over a year ago. It just doesn't feel like this guy has the buzz and the momentum. And maybe that all comes screaming back if he goes out there and mollywops Kamaru Usman on Saturday. But I bet you there'll also be a contingent that says, yeah, well, he beat Kamaru Usman on short notice. So what does that prove? And that contingent isn't necessarily wrong. And so this is where for me, like just, it doesn't have to be all gas, no breaks. It can be, this is the fight and let's see what happens. It doesn't have to be, this is the fight and winner gets next. Because the winner probably won't be ready on Sean Strickland's timeline. And I understand that the UFC isn't necessarily going to do things based on what Sean Strickland wants to do. But the UFC has its own calendar and its own schedule to maintain. And they're going to need their middleweight champion to defend his title. Sometime in the first quarter of 2024, I would imagine. And so... Do you really need to set yourself in a position where come Saturday or really come Sunday or Monday when we learn sort of the, the fallout of this event and the smoke clears a little bit, that maybe the brand new number one contender has a broken hand and is going to be out for six or eight months. Kamaru Usman hasn't exactly been the most active, accessible guy. Neither has Hamzat Chemaev. And these are going to be the guys that we're counting on for next against a champion that wants to be super active, even though we've got a contender that's waiting in the wings and wanted to wait to get healthy and missed that opportunity. You could probably do Strickland and Duplessis in February, in March at the absolute latest. You can have that one set and just banked right there. We don't have to worry about Saturday. Winner can be next in line behind DDP. And we can go from there. Some of this just feels too complicated for, for the USC's own good almost. It just feels like we're putting, it feels like we're, we're doing the short return when we should be looking at the long game. We, we can't see the forest for the trees here. And as I said, I'm certainly interested in Saturday. I'm fascinated. I can't wait. It's a morning kickoff here in, in Abbotsford, 7 a.m. start to the prelims. Love it. Breakfast, coffee, fist fights, I'm in. But I just wish there was a little bit more almost conservativeness going into this. I wish there was a little bit more thinking of the future than just thinking of the here and now for Saturday. Taking a quick look at the rest of the card before I get out of here. Certainly going to be back tomorrow and throughout the rest of the week doing the usual assortment of things those are one question for every fight tomorrow. 10 things I like on Thursday. Picks and plays on Friday. I do, do still just want to touch on a couple more of these matchups. A couple of these people that really stick out for me that I am excited to see. Really happy to see Magomed Ankalaev back. I think he's somebody that is kind of flying under the radar on this card. We haven't seen him since the fight last December with Jan Blahovic for the lightweight title. Super fascinated, super interested to see Ikram Aliskarov again. Really looking forward to Tim Elliott and Mohamed Mikhaev. Still can't believe that Mikhaev is, is fighting this soon. And I know it's been several months 
since he fought in March, but that knee bar looked nasty and he's back. So that's interesting to me. Always excited to see Javid Basharat. Looking forward to the official debut of Anshul Jubli, the road to UFC winner. Love the fight between Nathaniel Wood and Muhammad Naibov is in terms of a fight. I thought Nathaniel Wood should be facing someone a little bit further ahead, a little bit more established, but I love the fight in terms of the matchup. So this is, like I said, this is a card I am very much interested in. I love these top two fights. I cannot wait to see them. I cannot wait to continue discussing them this week. I just would have gone in different directions. I would have figured something out. I would have pulled back the reins a little bit. I get why the UFC didn't. That is not the way they work. They have been wildly successful by going in this direction, by doing these things. So they don't need to take my advice. This is just the thoughts of one man in Abbotsford, British Columbia on a podcast that he is so happy to be back doing. As I just said, be back tomorrow with one question for every fight. I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you again for sticking with me. Thank you again to everybody that reached out. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you're all well. We are back. It is UFC 294 Fight Week. It's Keyboard Kimura presented by One Bone. God, it feels good to be back here. See you tomorrow, folks.